This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. How are you, Ed? I'm doing good as well. And today is another Telerik Developer Digest show. That means we're going to go through some of the top articles of the week and uh, discuss what we wrote about and what other folks wrote about on the on the web. Uh, we got some really good articles again, but before we get started, I just want to go over some uh, quick developer events that we have going on. Um, first of all, uh, we were at Xamarin Evolve uh, this week. So uh, Sam Basu is out there uh, working with some of our folks at Xamarin Evolve. Um, so you might have seen us over there. And uh, also next week, uh, Sam and I will be at Star Trek uh, in Columbus, Ohio. This is a really cool event. Um, have you heard about it before, Brian? Uh, I mostly heard about it through you, but I love like all the kind of campy retro theming they use and your your cartoon of you of your speaker profile is awesome as yeah, this is a really cool like um community event that they do in columbus ohio and uh they rent out a movie theater for the day and everybody gets to do their sessions up on the big screen and you get to hook up you know your av to the movie uh theater so you get like awesome acoustics you get your slides up on that big screen and uh, there's a good amount of people there, usually about 250 people pack into one of those theaters. So it's it's a nice venue to speak at, and it's also an even better one to attend. So I'll be there. Uh, all of the stuff is like uh, themed comic book style this year because the uh, the event revolves around whatever the new movie release is. So that one is going to be uh, Captain America. Yeah. Um, Civil War, so everything Which I can't is like, wait to see. Yeah, it, that's the that's one of the benefits of uh, going to the conference is you get to see the movie like first run. Oh really? Yeah, after everybody speaks. Maybe I should have gone. <laughs> <laughs> after everybody speaks for the day, uh, they play the movie and like all the attendees pile into all the theaters and uh, we get to watch the show and have free popcorn and it's really awesome. That's, awesome. that's a great idea. I like that, um, and it should be a good movie, unlike some other recent superhero movies. <laughs> to be unnamed? <laughs> yeah. We don't even need to go there, because once you get me started, I didn't even see it. I was, I was, you know, I hated the one before it so much that I was like, I'm not even seeing this one. <laughs> anyway, I see, I got you myself... You don't sound better at all. Nah. I, you know, I love Superman, and I love Batman, and they ruin both. Anyway... Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you're at, at uh, Star Trek, come by the Telerik booth and say hi to us. Um, if you are over in Switzerland, uh, our uh, developer advocate, Todd Motto, is doing a keynote there. So that should be awesome. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to Switzerland. Let's, let's do it. We need to get into some of these Euro events, man. We need to go on. I know, I know. I, you know, I think about applying to them, and most of them, by the way, do. You know, If you're interested as a speaker, most of these do supply some level of travel expenses and stuff like that but um that makes it also tougher to get into and i you know i often like i'm like can i really justify crossing all that way to go speak uh you know 
from a work perspective. But anyway, <laughs> the hard part selling it to the wife and kids. Like it's yeah, them, them too. Right, that's true. It's not a vacation, I swear. I'm just going to Switzerland to chill out for a couple days. <laughs> Listen to Todd Motto give an awesome keynote. Yep. Um, so also worth mentioning our Telerik Developer Digest newsletter and our podcast that we're doing right now. They're supposed to run in the same week, but we kind of got a little out of sync on that. Yep. Um, <clears throat> not My a huge fault, problem. Really. Not a big deal, but uh, we'll try to sync those back up eventually. Um, but it shouldn't affect the show any or the newsletter any, so we're just going to let it ride for now. Yeah, I think it's okay. Uh, you know, that was uh, – I didn't even know it was going out. Uh, we we had missed a week a ways back uh, intentionally, and then somehow, you know, it never got fixed in the calendar of our provider who just sent it. So anyway, long, it's not a big deal. We had enough stuff. That's yeah, uh, we got a good pile of stuff, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, TDN's been very busy. Last go around, we had a lot of Microsoft news, which is fine. Uh, Build was that month, and uh, there was a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, this month, we we have a good mix of stuff. Um, a couple of Microsoft, Microsoft things here and there. Some good Angular two stuff. Uh, we got some native script going on. So uh, let's kick this off with. Um, Cody Lindley's uh, article uh, he wrote, and I love the title, What Has Microsoft Done for You Lately? Yeah, it's, it's a great article. Um, you know, he just talks about a lot of, like, the open source initiatives that Microsoft has going on in a lot of different areas, but focused mo mainly on, like, what are they doing for web developers and the web. Um, I thought it was not only an interesting article because, it, it, you know, some of the stuff I didn't even know about, but I also thought the intensity of some of the reactions was interesting as well. Um, you know, I for all the talk that Microsoft has garnered a lot of really goodwill lately, um, and they have, uh, there is still obviously uh, a, a lot of developers who harbor a lot of anger towards them. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to speak on Cody's behalf, but we we both know him pretty well. He's he's not the biggest Microsoft enthusiast. Let's just say yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> I know he was at Build, and he did see a lot of the stuff. And I think, you know, it's just a matter of I suspect knowing Cody because he keeps up with stuff really well that he knew all this stuff was already going on, right? But it's just kind of getting it all at once, and you suddenly realize like. That's a lot of stuff. They're doing a lot of different things. So, um, you know, I think it was just kind of summarizing his his impressions based on that. Yeah, and um, like I was, I was saying, it, it's a little more of a tough sell for him. Uh, he's not, you know, the biggest Microsoft follower. So to see him yeah. kind of give Microsoft uh, due uh, respect on some of these items is uh, it's telling a lot. Uh, one of the things he really likes is um, the fact that they're open sourcing everything now, and in doing it the right way, it's on GitHub, uh, yep. where you can actually go and submit issues, and they they do community pull requests, and there's nothing closed source about the way they're doing this. I mean, they're doing the open source the right way. Yep, I would agree. Uh, another thing he, he wanted to comment on in in the article was uh, Edge is actually really good. So as much flack as Microsoft has rightfully gotten over 
the lackluster performance of IE over the last decade, uh, Edge is actually something worth checking out. Yeah, you know, I've I've used Edge some. I would say, you know, it's I think it's a great browser because um, I, I I have been a Microsoft fan for a while. I mean, I, I do have my Mac, but I also have a Surface Pro, you know, so I, I have my Windows machines at home as well. Um, and I was even a person who didn't absolutely hate Windows 8. I thought it was fine. Um, there were some quirks, but, you know, I didn't I didn't dislike it. And I like Windows 10. But, uh, you know, the one thing about the browser, what, the one thing I think Edge fights is Chrome, you already have your whole, like, ecosystem set up, you know? Yeah, and you already – you, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to head there. Yeah, I mean, my password's set up, my plugins are – you know, the – um, extensions are set up. The you know everything's already in there, so it's hard to break away from that. Yeah, there's a lot of passwords in there that I just do not know. <laughs> it knows yep. for me. Chrome knows for me. So getting those moved over to uh, Edge is going to be a bit of a, a acceptance curve for me. Um, I'm looking forward to trying out some of the dev tools. They looked really cool. Uh, Cody yeah. outlined some of those in the article as well. Um, and another uh, cool thing that I didn't know anything about uh, was Voltron JS. Yeah, I read about it, but honestly, I don't know a lot about it either. Um, yeah, so apparently the there's a Microsoft open source JavaScript debugging tool called Voltron JS. And I, my my take on this is if if you want to learn more about that you should go check out Cody's article. Yep, I agree. Yeah, and he does a great job explaining what it is and and why it's really cool. And I just I don't know enough about it, and I need to go back and and kind of research this thing now that he's turned me on to it and see what it it's all about. Yep, it's good stuff. And um, I actually actually pointed over to his article when I wrote mine, and this is the next uh, subject up for discussion here. I wrote uh, an article after Build as well called um, The .NET of Tomorrow. And um, th this article I wrote to outline uh, kind of the roadmap going forward with ASP.NET, or .NET in general, really, because um, th they're still changing a lot of things, and uh, people are going to be a little confused for a while, so it's a good thing they're they're putting roadmaps out there and trying to clear this stuff up. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I, I'm not a .NET developer, but it seems like m many of these changes are for the better. But I know that it's not easy when, especially if it's not like um, this is a new language or anything, right? This is to these are changes to. What something people have been working with for ages, and probably a lot of developers have been doing the same thing for a long time. Um, and I can imagine this is fairly uncomfortable seeing all this happening, at, even if even if they think it's a good idea. Would you agree? Yeah, and that kind of reflected in our survey. People are very excited, um, but they're also very uncertain as to what they're excited about. <laughs> Yeah. So there, there's really a lot of change going on everywhere. And one of the things that they really s just started talking about, and it had to do with uh, Xamarin being uh, brought into the ecosystem, is they are standardizing what's called uh, the .NET Standard Library. 
So before we had multiple base class libraries um, for, say, uh, ASP.NET um, 4.6, and then we had another stack for .NET Core, and then another stack for Mono and Xamarin. Um, now they're trying they're trying to come up with a uh, way to standardize the APIs across all of those platforms. Uh, so what they've created, and the way I understand it, is it's going to be um, what what they may be calling a meta NuGet package. So this will be a contract kind of that uh, if you're going to be building a .NET application and you accept that this application is going to be an ASP.NET standard library 1.5, then all of these APIs will be available. And when you reference that assembly, it will then pull all of the libraries it needs to uh, use those APIs. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a big, big change for everybody. Um, and the, I don't know if there's there's a timeline on this roadmap, uh, but they've they've set down the guidance for it. Uh, so this is going to be this is really really looking out into the future. Um, I wouldn't expect to see any of this stuff right away, but we'll we'll start seeing it over the next year or so. Yeah, I mean it's probably best that these things roll out slowly anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing I included in the article because kind of. Uh, can't go without talking about C-sharp if you're talking about .NET. Uh, as we saw in the survey that we did, um, most .NET developers use C-sharp as their primary language. So I, I outlined uh, some of the language improvements that were coming down the pipe as well. And there's some really cool stuff in there. Uh, they are really pushing um, more functional style elements into the language. Uh, Things like pattern matching and immutable objects are coming, and uh, I think that stuff's really cool. Yeah, you know, and it's it's been uh, even JavaScript has been pushing functional programming, and I mean, it seems like it's now uh, it's definitely uh, in in its moment. Yeah, it's one of those things that's been around for a long time, and it's just it's kind of coming back again. Yeah, um, it's really come full circle, and I think that's because the complexity of the software we're writing is is just getting deeper and deeper, and uh, it solves some of the problems that we're seeing with um, with things like uh, parallel processing and whatnot, and uh, even simplification of APIs and uh, the code base itself. So I think we'll see some of those things uh, move into uh, C sharp as well as like you said .NET or I mean um, JavaScript uh, uh, languages and um, I'm looking forward to it myself. Yeah, it's definitely something I I gotta I want to look into a little bit more myself. I I'm not well versed in the whole thing. Now, there's a lot of um, a lot of really well written APIs that deal with pipelines and uh, and uh, using classes that you know, can't mutate themselves and um, can't really get into the whole <laughs> why why functionals are better or why functional is important in a 30-minute podcast. Um, but we did a show, let's see, it was about about six months ago with Dave Fancher on uh, functional C-sharp, and we kind of got into some good discussions there. So if you haven't heard it, look through the back catalog and find that show about functional programming, and uh, there's some good info in there. 
Sounds good. You want to take the next one, uh, Brian? Sure. Uh, I think the next one was uh, Todd Moto, Motto's uh, Fast Angular 2 setup with components and the component router. Um, basically, you know, I, what I like about this post, this post tries to, to be, kind of walk you through getting set up with Angular 2. It, it's not heavy on, on, like the, on the kind of theory behind it. It's trying to give you something, a practical guide to just get up and running. Um, and, he, and he shows you the code and shows you how to get everything set up. Um, and I know a lot of developers are kind of, you know, Angular 2 is very different from Angular 1. So a lot of developers are really struggling trying to figure out how to make that transition. And, I, and um, so it seemed like it was a really great resource, and there was a lot of great feedback that this was really helpful. Yeah, one of the, the cool things I, I like about the article is um, Angular 2, and even when I'm writing the new .NET Core stuff, um, you get into the situation where you feel the need to explain Grunt, Gulp, Bower, uh, yeah. stuff like that. So package managers and... Um, Precompilers right. and all that stuff, and and Todd just said, "Look, I'm going to explain this, and just explain the Angular Angular two parts, and I'm going to admit all the tooling and compiling and all that nonsense, uh, because that's covered in every article everywhere. So right. you can go learn that stuff without reading through it in this article again. So yeah, that was exactly. Great. Yeah, no, that seemed very useful, and and I mean, he has this little starter." Uh, library there on GitHub that kind of wraps all this up to let people work from it. So I think it, it was really seemed like a really helpful thing. And you know, uh, what, one thing we should bring up actually is that uh, we got ngconf is next week, and we are gonna we didn't bring that up earlier about the conferences, but we're gonna have a really big presence there. A lot of discussion of NativeScript. Um, you know, hopefully we'll hear some big announcements about Angular two and stuff. So. Uh, should be very exciting. So, uh, which of our advocates are going to be out there? Oh my God! It seems like who's not going to be out who's there? Who's not? <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as from our team, uh, Jen and TJ both have talks. Burke is going to be in the keynote, um, so that's who from our team. But then we've got some NativeScript engineers who are going to be out there, as well as a NativeScript product manager, as well as a NativeScript product marketing manager, as well. I mean, we all in all. Um, we have a really large contingent of people who are going to be there, uh, maybe a bit excessively large because, of course, everybody wanted to go. Um, so it's going to be a big group. And I, we, I can say that we will have some big announcements of our own uh, that I can't give away just yet. Awesome. Yeah, so if, if you're not familiar with the Telerik Developer Relations team, we're, we're very diverse. So we've got, you know, uh, part of us that deal with Windows and .NET, and then we've got um, folks like Todd Motto and uh, Jen and TJ that uh, know Angular and JavaScript and uh, that side of the business really well. And we, we do attend events together, but a lot of times um, we attend a lot of different events as well. So uh, NGConf's next week, uh, Burke Holland will be there, Jen Looper and TJ Vantel. Uh, so stop by our booth if you're out there. Check them out. Say hi. Um, and uh, look for the amazing and wonderful Burke Holland in the keynote to announce some stuff. 
Yep. Should be great. Uh, let's see. We, we've got another article on deck here. Um, One-click analytics integration in hybrid apps. Yeah, you're going to pronounce the guy's name? Uh, I was going to kind of leave that to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. I, I, I was... I think it's Igel Ro- Rosager Polson. I'll go with that. Excellent try. <laughs> that's that's my attempt anyway. So this is basically about ba- building. If you build hybrid apps, it shows you how easy it is to just add in uh, Telerik Analytics. That's kind of part of our Telerik platform, um, and just he gives you the different ways to install. Like say, you know, if you're working from um, you know, the command line versus working on the app builder desktop client or using Visual Studio. Like he just shows you how quick it is to just add in, you know, into into your project, add in the analytics and, and go from there. Um, so it makes it really easy to say to add analytics into an app as opposed to some kind of complicated setup. Yeah, so this is how we can see you know, how many people are loading our application, how often right. Uh, are they having problems with it? You know, exactly. all the above. And um, you can really get some good uh, UX information out of that and usage stats and you name it. Uh, and it, it works on, um, I know you mentioned hybrid apps, but it also works on other platforms as well. So we It have... does, yeah. This one, the article specifically talks about hybrid apps, so that's why. Ah, it's... okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and then we had an awesome article by the amazing Jen Looper. Oh, yeah. Jen, so this one, um, I actually had the kind of fortunately got to see her give this as a presentation at a Fluent Conference in San Francisco about a month and a half ago. Uh, it was a great presentation, honestly, and I always kind of have to commend Jen on her creativity. So she built, so kind of her concept started with that you know, you see beacons and IoT it often used as a um, means of just marketing you new products. Like I show up at a store and it's like, oh, you know, did you know that this is on sale over here? Uh, it'll pop up on your phone, right? And she's like, there's got to be more to this than just a marketing tool, right? Um, it's got to be a way to use it to enhance people's experiences of things. So she loves museums and, and art and stuff like that. So she's a uh, a bit of a traveler. Um, in fact, she just got back from Greece, so there you go. I mean, she loves to kind of travel the world and go see museums and stuff like that. And uh, so she had this idea of enhancing the museum experience because museums tend to have these terrible apps that are kind of like, and you, you don't want to install a different app for every museum you go to. So she had a way of using Google's new protocol for, and I'm blanking on what they, um, it has a, in forgetting the name exactly, but it's a protocol for, for doing IoT-based stuff. Um, and basically, oh, Eddystone is called, right? So Yeah, yeah, that what, is it. Right. And so what it allows you to do is, like, she, you don't have to install an app, right? If you get near the beacon, it'll actually, it'll actually send you to a web page, and then the web page tells you more about the particular item. And in her case, she went further, and she allowed the, the web page will actually allow you to, if you find this little treasure box she created, 
when you go to the web page, you can actually click a button and it'll open the treasure box and then you get a little gift item of some sort that's related to what you're seeing in the museum, uh, which was a really clever. So, I mean, she created this latch that receives a message from the phone and, and opens automatically. It was really cool. Yeah, this is a very creative piece, man. I tell you, uh, she really knocked it out of the park. I mean, she built this box and, and painted it and everything, and then yeah. built um, a wireless-enabled circuit that was attached to a servo motor that would unlock and open the box from an API that was pinging off of a web page. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Um, you know, and it's just... I, I just I also love the idea that she's trying to see like what could we do more with you know with things like beacons beyond just telling you about the latest sale item. So yeah, she really thought outside the box. <laughs> or inside too. Pun intended, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you love like geeky gadgety stuff and IoT, uh, follow Jen Looper on Twitter. You will definitely get some really cool uh, stuff pop up on her account and articles that she writes and stuff she thinks is cool. Yeah, she always f seems to find like these little, you know, the, she, the kind of gadgets she finds and stuff are really quite interesting. I don't even know where she finds it all. I think she, a lot of them are even just, uh, you know, projects that aren't fully in production yet kind of thing, like something she got off of... Uh, Oh, what do you call it? The ones where you support the projects. So I'm blanking on the name of the site. Being an idiot. Yeah, um, she's really dialed into that stuff, though. It's yeah. Just, it was great to yeah. have her. Indiegogo right. kind of things and all those those kind of projects, you know. Um, she she supports a lot of those, and that's where she gets some of the stuff. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's great to have her on the team, and it's definitely awesome to follow her and look at all the cool stuff she's you know tinkering with. Yep. Uh, so TJ wrote an article, um, and I, I love the title on this one. This is hmm. great. Uh, How I Build for Proprietary Platforms and Sleep at Night. Yeah. So there's been some debate about, um, you know, he even quoted a, a tweet that basically building for proprietary platforms, in this case being like iOS or Android, right? Um, when you should be building for the web. Um, and he uses this as a way to kind of frame NativeScript as a means of both, you know, using web technologies to develop for proprietary platforms, but not really locking yourself into that platform, right? Like, I'm not doing native development on iOS and then native development on Android in that I'm, I'm basically using a a tool that allows me to do both, but isn't necessarily tied to either one, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there was a lot of um, things that were in his article that I, I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, and one of those things is the fact that if you're choosing to create a native application, uh, whether it's with native scripts or, or something else, it doesn't mean that you're choosing it over the web. And, right, and that was a big part of his article. I really liked that he had clear, clearly defined that. You know, you can write apps that are both, you know, you have a web presence and a native application in the store, and it's not a versus thing. It doesn't have to be a competitive thing. Right, 
And so, and he took a little bit of that off of some, uh, um, Luke Robleski's done some work on that, um, kind of showing some of the metrics around that. And, and if you look at, like, when, when, the thing is, is that, um, you know, it's very hard to get people to download an app, right? So very few people download apps, very many apps. In fact, uh, I think I've read that the average person on any given month actually doesn't download any apps. Um, but you, so the, oftentimes the way to lead them into the app is via the web experience, right? So we used to have those, you know, um, interstitial things that, you know, that would come up when you went to the, to the site and it would kind of force you into the app. Um, Google's helped to kind of put an end to that by making kind of making that hurt their uh, the search ranking, right? But but it's still nowadays now the kind of the idea is that if you build a, a web presence and then that as people get start using your you know your app or whatever on the web, they may transition. You can transition them to a native app on each platform that has, say, takes advantage of some of the features that are on the device as opposed to just being uh, replicating what you could do on the web, right? Yeah, one of my favorite examples is uh, Trello. So they have a good web application, and then for each platform, um, they, they have a good native experience as well. And if for some reason your your device, maybe you have a Windows phone or mm-hmm. um, you know something that doesn't run one of the major OS uh, uh, APIs, you can still go to the website. Right. And the web app works just fine on your phone. Exactly. So I mean exactly. that really yeah. shows you the power of you know having a companion app or having both a presence on the web and natively. Right, and he even brings up some of his favorites, just of how you can each can complement the other. Right, it doesn't have to be one or the other; they can complement each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you need, you kind of do need both in in most cases, right? So, yeah, and if uh, if you guys are out there and you're building uh, native script apps, and you you have a good example using native script, and you have you know a web app that's complementary. Uh, shoot us a, a message, uh, f- grab one of us on Twitter, or uh, go to developer.telerk.com and, and ping one of us. Let us know what you're building. Yep, we'd love to hear it. A uh, little more uh, native script talk. Um, yeah. We're, next article up here is uh, using local notifications in your native script mobile app. So I right. really, I'm not a native developer, so I, I didn't know that uh, this was a thing. So um, did you know about this uh, push versus local notifications? You know, I knew a bit, but I, it's not something I've actually Im- implemented. I, you know, I tended to read a lot about this stuff. I don't often get to do a lot of it because mm-hmm. my job is mostly reading um, and editing and stuff like that. But um but I had read about it before, but he does a good job of explaining the how-to. I mean, Nick Nick Raboy, who did this, as well as I think the next article we're going to talk about, uh, he did both. But he's he has a lot of really good tutorials about uh, just kind of very specific topics, just how-to, and he always provides the code and stuff like that. So uh, if you're interested in native script, he's got a ton of them. As, he's even got a course and everything. Uh, yeah, what so, a... 
what I thought was really cool about the article is it tells you not only how to implement uh, local notifications, but what the key differences are uh, between a push notification and a local notification. Uh, so the way I understand it is um, the the push notification you know comes from server side. So some yeah. of that happens, and you're you're pushed some notification right. that says so and so uploaded a photo or whatnot. Uh, the local notification is a service that's running on the device in the background, and it can it can push a notification up without needing the server right. involved in that process. Uh, exactly. So this this tells you how to you know just download a plugin and write a couple API calls and put that in your application. Yep. So great stuff. Uh, in his other article, um, also another one of those like I don't use this technology, but man is this really cool stuff. Uh, so that one's about couch-based mobile and using that cross-platform uh, application with. Um, or using that to make a cross-platform application with Telerik native script. Um, so I, I had to go look this up because I do a lot of .NET work. So I was like, what is Couchbase? And um, it looks like uh, Couchbase is one of those um, document um, storage systems or NoSQL type databases. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like our uh, Telerik backend services kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and this uh, it lets you use Couchbase right on the device. Uh, it works without being connected um, to a server, uh, so you can get that you know document um, storage functionality right there on your inside of your application in a disconnected way. Uh, and, and he's got a good detailed outline once again of how how it works and why you need it and. Um, and how to implement it in your uh, application. So if you want to check out uh, Nick's articles, um, subscribe to our Telerik Developer Network newsletter, and uh, we get that once every two weeks. And um, we'll put show notes up on the website with a link to these um, articles we covered today as well. Uh, if you subscribe today, you won't get this newsletter. It'll be in the backlog, so we'll make sure we post that up where everybody can get to it. Sure, yeah. And it'll be, I guess the next one will be next week, because until we get back, kind of alter the schedule. <laughs> yep, so we'll have uh, another newsletter go out next week, and the podcast uh, has yet to be recorded for next week, but we will have a guest interview. Um and that should be up around f either Friday or Monday. And then the following week, we'll have another TDD podcast. So if you guys like the podcast, make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe. Uh, we're on SoundCloud as well. And another thing that would help us out a lot is if you go on to either one of those services and rate and review the podcast. Uh, the more stars you give us on, on iTunes, the further up it'll push us in their... Um, system and other people can discover the podcast so if you're able to do that you like the podcast we'd appreciate it brian you got any closing words my friend uh let's see no just looking forward to next week hearing all the like i said all the native script stuff um get to talk about some of the things that they haven't been able to talk about yet um it's going to be very exciting looking forward to it and uh i'll have some interviews coming probably out of 
uh, Star Trek. So there's a lot of great speakers up there in Columbus, Ohio next week. I will be flagging some of them down with my mobile podcasting system that I I just purchased about a month ago. And you Uh, saved me one of those shirts, right? Oh, yes. And we have some really awesome shirts to give give away while we're there. Uh, We have our Telerik Ninja slash uh, Captain America shirt. So it's a Telerik Ninja with the Captain America shield guarding him. Uh, Really cool swag. If you're going to be at the event, it's an exclusive uh, yeah, I want one. I'm not going to be there, but I want one. Do I get one? <laughs> uh, w- w- you may owe me uh, some coffee or something, but... Uh, uh, beer. Beer. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get you one, and um, like I said, if you're up there, come see us, and I will be recording some interviews up there in Columbus, and uh, look forward to those coming out on the podcast. Well, have a good time there. Thank you, and uh, thanks for... Uh, helping me with the show this week and everybody else thanks for listening